0: the blessing that they are to us. What a phenomenal weekend it is. It's one of those rare weekends where everybody is happy, Spartans, Wolverines, even some Buckeyes, everybody won this week. I don't know how many weekends we'll have like that, but let's enjoy being friends while we can. Amen. Amen? Uh, No, it's a great time of year. School's getting started back for our kids, so continuing to pray for kids, for teachers, for administrators, for those of you who are headed back to school. But Labor Day weekend—Labor Day weekend is one of those weekends that can easily be thought of as just another opportunity to break out the grill, to go to Stony Creek, to enjoy your time at a park. But I will tell you this, there's so much more to Labor Day, and it gives me the opportunity to kind of talk for just a moment as I've set up our message for today about a theology of work, a theology of work. So much of my academic study have been about faith and work in the intersection of those two. For those of you who maybe haven't really looked at work through the lens of Scripture, there's a couple of messages that Scripture gives us about work. Number one is that work is a blessing. Can I get an amen for that? That work is a blessing. So much of our identity and God's Formation of our hearts and souls comes through our labor. We shouldn't look at labor as a penalty. We shouldn't look at it as an evil, a necessary evil on our way to a paycheck, but we should look at it as an opportunity to fully express the creative abilities that God has placed within our hearts. I'm going to take it a step further. Not only is work a blessing, work is worship as well. The Bible teaches us this, that work is to be done unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Scriptures tell us that whatever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So those who are Christians who have studied the Scriptures about this topic of work understand that your first boss is Jesus. And your second boss is whoever your direct report is. So, you're first working as unto the Lord to please Him. So, that means that even if your direct report is a jerk, doesn't mean that you pull back on the quality of your work, but you keep working as unto the Lord, knowing that one day you'll stand before Him. And how many want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, when you stand before the Lord? Amen. That's the ultimate payoff. I'll take a step further and tell you that there's two reasons why God gives you a job. Two reasons why God gives us jobs. The first is so that we might do good work for His glory. Whether you're an engineer or you're a teacher, stay-at-home mom or dad, or maybe you uh, might be a doctor or nurse, whatever it is that God has entrusted to your care, your first responsibility is to steward that well and to do that well for His glory, for His pleasure. But then secondly, the second reason He gave you that job is so that men and women might see your good work and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's kind of the opposite of the way a lot of us have been trained to think. And so sadly, it's produced a lot of Christians who carry a big Bible into work, but they're doing a terrible job. God doesn't want you to go to work with a big Bible and a terrible job and do a terrible job. You, you actually bring a reproach to the name of Jesus that way. But hopefully, people will see your quality of work, your good stewardship, your diligence, your faithfulness, your productivity, and hopefully they'll see that and say, what is it about you? And then hopefully, you'll be able to tell them, I work for a higher boss, and his name is Jesus. Amen? But this is also an opportunity for us to think about the unemployed as well. But there there are millions of people who are looking for either a better job to meet the needs of their family or looking for a job at all. One of the most difficult things in life is when you go through a season and you don't have the job or the income needed to provide for your family. Anybody ever been there before? You're looking and you're in that season where things are difficult. According to current statistics, there's about 6.5 million Americans who are currently looking for either a better job, a more adequate job, or a job at all. I was looking in preparation for this message today, and I ran across this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who surprisingly talked a ton about work, and he says this, if a man doesn't have a job— or an adequate income, he has neither life nor liberty, nor the possibility for the pursuit of happiness. He merely exists. Those are heavy words, but they certainly describe the anguish and the feeling that you have when you are going through a season and you don't have the type of work that you desperately need. But I want to just kind of Look at the other side of the coin as we land our plane in the Scriptures and we pick up on our series that we're in. And we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 19 in just a moment. But if what Dr. King is true about not having a spiritual job, how much more not having a, 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 a spiritual job? If, if what he said is true about not having a physical job. How much more not having a spiritual job? Now, we're taught in this country to think about the unemployment rate. We kind of follow it and track it. But have you ever asked yourself, what is the spiritual unemployment rate? What percentage of God's people have not found their calling in Christ? As a matter of fact, that's how I define spiritual unemployment. You may want to write this down. It is a lack of clarity concerning your calling in Christ— and not having a place of ministry service. You see, every one of us is called to serve the Lord. Every single one of us is called to employ our time, talent, and treasure in service as unto the Lord. That may be a challenging statement for you, but hopefully it is an encouraging one. God calls his people into mission. That means the Christian life is not a spectator sport. You're not meant to buy a ticket, to enter into an arena, to root for the players on the field or on the court. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is every one of us saying, "Here, my Lord, use me. I want to show you an example of this in the life of Elijah. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. For those of you who have been traveling along with us in this current series on the life of Elijah, you'll notice and see that um, we're coming to the end of our study in his life. How many have enjoyed the study of the life of Elijah? Man, what an inspiration he is. Elijah, the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse number 17, is a man with with a nature just like us he's a man just like us. He had his highs and his lows, his ups and his downs, his challenges and his triumphs. Last time we were visiting Elijah's life, he was in a season of discouragement. Have you ever been there before? He was so discouraged that he decided he was going to opt out of serving the Lord anymore. He said, God, I still believe in you, but I don't want to serve you. And maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been in the season of discouragement where you felt like, God, I don't feel like serving you anymore. Well, God meets with Elijah and he comes to him. And what he calls the front of the mountain, he has him stand on the edge of a mountain, the cleft of a mountain, and he speaks to him. After winds and fire and earthquake, there is a low whisper, and God speaks to Elijah and says to him, keep serving me. And my prayer today is that you would have a moment while we're gathered here where the Lord speaks to you. Maybe this message is that low whisper of God speaking to your heart saying, it's time for you to serve me, or it's time for you to keep serving me, or it's time for you to take your next step in your service to me. When We were last with Elijah, he was uh, having this encounter with God, and you may remember, Verses fifteen and sixteen of chapter nineteen, where the Lord calls him back into service to Him, and in verse number sixteen he says, "And you're supposed to call Jehu the son of Nimshi. You shall uh, anoint to be king over Israel." And then he says, "Elijah the son of Shaphat, you're supposed to anoint him, and he's going to be the next prophet." In other words, you're supposed to find your successor. Now, this gives me an opportunity to say a parenthetical statement. Here's the parenthetical statement. Every one of us is called not just to be a disciple. Hear me now. We're called to be disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. You're called to invest yourself into someone else. How many by the show of hands, when you came to Christ, had someone who walked with you in those early days? Maybe it was a parent or a loved one or a mentor, but how many had someone walk with you early in the Christian faith? How many appreciate those people, right? Now, we all had that, or most of us had that, and uh, we're called to be that for someone else. We're called to pour our what we know, at least at this point in the journey into someone else, to be disciples who make disciples. And if you didn't have that, I got a news flash for you as well, you're called to be what you didn't see. And we can be what we didn't see because we have a word, the Word of God to help to show us the way. But we're called to pour our hearts into other people so that others might serve the Lord. So here Elijah is, this man of God who has done great exploits. God has used him to do some pretty awesome things. He has a lifetime of faithfulness, walking with the Lord. Not perfectly. None of us are perfect. Don't ever trick yourself or let the enemy trick you into thinking that perfection is the bar. No, you just got to be one step ahead of the person behind you. And so, Elijah says, basically, "Here, my Lord, use me. And the Lord says to him, go, and you're going to anoint some people, you're going to call some people, you're going to invest your life into some people, and one of those people is going to be Elisha. And uh, the story launches out from there. Just three verses this week, everybody say amen to that. First verse is verse number 19, and what we're going to see here is that God's direction for our lives can be trusted. It says here in verse number 19, so he, referring to Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. This is an interesting verse of Scripture, and it's lost on us unless we understand a couple of things. The first thing we got to understand is that these men didn't know each other prior to this moment. So imagine waking up in the, mo- in the morning and God saying to you, I- I'm going to introduce you to somebody who you're called to mentor, who's going to be Uh, a person you disciple and walk with. And not only does he tell you that, but he tells you their name, right? And then imagine as you're going on your journey throughout the day that you meet that exact person, that exact name, wow, God, you are faithful. But this is a moment where we're meant to be reminded That God's Word can be trusted, that God's direction for our lives can be trusted. God is, uh, in a myriad of ways, in a room this big, speaking to each one of us about things that He wants us to do. And my encouragement to you today is trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. When you have a deep conviction concerning God's purposes, God's plans, God's call on your life. Obey the Lord, trust Him, because the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, trust and obey, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's an old song that we used to sing as a church, but it's still true today. The refrain of that is still true today. You can trust God's call on your life. You can trust God's voice in your life. Elijah is standing on the mountaintop. He hears from the Lord that you're going to meet a guy named Elisha. Say that five times fast. Elijah is going to meet Elisha, and you're supposed to... Walk with him, anoint him, pour your life into him because he's going to be your successor one day. And then he comes down from that moment with God, and he meets this young man, Elisha, just as God had said. God is speaking to many of us in various ways, and he is telling us to obey him. And I want to encourage you that God can be trusted. Everybody repeat that after me. God can be trusted. Do you believe that? But this story does beg the question, how do we hear from God? How do we hear from God? Now I don't want you to think that everybody's going to hear from God the way that Elijah heard from God. These supernatural moments where God tells you to go on a mountain and sends an earthquake and fire and wind. I mean, that would be great if God spoke to everybody that way, but that's rare. It was rare in biblical times, and it's certainly rare in our times. Certainly God does on occasion speak to us that way. That's not often, so I wouldn't encourage you to wait for the next earthquake to hear from God. So how does God speak? Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, in the opening stanza, which, by the way, was an ancient sermon, the preacher of Hebrews opens up that ancient sermon saying that God, who spoke in diverse ways, in various ways, in times past, has spoken to us in these last days through his Son— God speaks to our hearts through the words of Jesus. And where are the words of Jesus recorded? Recorded in Scripture. So, what is the primary way that God speaks to us in this hour? It is through Scripture. Now, his servants, men and women who speak his word, are only echoing scripture. They're to be uh, trusted and listened to only in as much as they are proclaiming his word. Besides that, there is no value. The only words of eternal life is what we find in Scripture. But you know what? That may not feel too spectacular. It may not feel too supernatural in our hearts and in our imaginations. We like to think to ourselves that, man, it would be nice to have an earthquake every now and then. The heavens open up. The voice of God comes down booming, telling you, don't go to Starbucks today. It'd be nice if we could have moments like that. But here's the beauty of what I just told you, that God speaks through Scripture, is that you can have a divine appointment anytime you want. If you've ever been in a moment where you have gone from clarity to confusion, if you've ever been in a moment where a fog has settled in, if you've ever been in a moment where you're in uncharted territory and you say, God... This isn't familiar. I don't know how to navigate this, or or maybe even seasons change where you say, I knew who I was and what you called me to be and do in that previous season, but now things have changed, and I don't really know what it is that you've called me to be and do. I don't know where to go from here. Don't feel bad about that. All that means is that you need to hear from God. And the good news is, is that God speaks. As one great apologist, Francis Schaeffer, once said, not only is God out there, he is not silent. How many praise God that he is not silent? (laughs) That he speaks. God speaks. And hopefully our response is, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. I just want to speak a little bit about this fall season. You know fall season is a great season for our kids, obviously depending on their perspective, but it invites them to new rhythms. It invites them to be able to renew their educational goals. They're growing, but I also think it's an invitation for those of us who are parents or those of us who are older and you know, one of the things I want to challenge you to, encourage you towards today is as you think about the fall in just a couple weeks, we're not only going to be having this picnic that Pastor EJ talked about, but we're going to uh, uh, give you a listing of Bible study classes that are, that are around the corner. That's a great way for you to hear from God. And maybe, just maybe, your next step in your journey with Jesus is to say, Lord, I want to know your word better. I want to have that divine appointment with you. I want to hear from you. How many want to hear from the Lord? How many want thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word is what gives us life and gives us direction. The entrance of his word brings light. So I want you to see clearly, I don't want you to stumble around in darkness, neither do I want to stumble around in darkness. We all go through seasons of confusion. We all go through seasons and moments where we need clarity and we need to hear from God. You can have a divine appointment with the Lord anytime. time, and I encourage you to go deeper into His Word. But the story doesn't stop there. Not only does this story reveal to us that God's direction can be trusted, it also reveals to us that God's call demands commitment. Look at how Elisha responds, because at this point, the story shifts from Elijah being the focus to Elisha being the focus. And look at what it says in verse number 20 his response is, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back. This is Elijah speaking in response. He said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is such a powerful moment. Now, one thing that would be lost if you didn't know a little bit of cultural context is that in verse number 19, when it says that Elisha was riding 12 yoke of oxen, that's the, the Scripture's way of saying this was a wealthy man. It's a wealthy man because he's tilling the ground, preparing it for seed time and harvest eventually, but he doesn't have a small amount of land. If you got a small amount of land, one yoke of oxen will do, and a yoke is just a contraption that pulls two uh, cows together to be able to uh, plow together, right? And so, or two animals, mules sometimes, but it pulls them together so that they can plow your ground, prepare your ground for seed time and harvest no he needed 12 and odds are Elisha came from a wealthy family and odds are this is family land and odds are this is his family business so here is a guy in his family business he is in his career he's in a lucrative job the next thing you know he gets a calling from God Elijah throws his cloak on him. This gives me the opportunity to talk a little bit about our occupational job and our uh, ministry job, our ministry service. Every one of us is called to occupations, and every one of us is called to vocations. We're called to occupational jobs and ministry jobs. Now, sometimes those two are one in the same, like in my case. I am a local pastor. I'm a pastor of a local church, which happens to be my occupation and my vocation, my ministry job uh, to serve Christ and my occupation are one and the same. But again, let me just emphasize this is rare. Studies show that only 5% of Christians throughout church history and on the planet today work in ministry as an occupation. That means 95% of Christians are called to have an occupational job and a ministry job that are different from one another. So what are you doing in a moment like that? Well, you don't say, God, I'll start serving you in retirement. And you don't start saying, God, I'll serve you during my two weeks of vacation every year. What you say is that, God, I'll give you the best of what I can offer to you, knowing that all of my life is yours, knowing that I'm yours when I am working my occupational job, but I'm also yours as I serve my local church. And What is it that God has called you to do in service to your local church? Maybe it's to go into the mission field occasionally. Maybe it is to serve our children. Maybe it is to use your time, talent, and treasure to teach a Bible study class or to lead a life group, whatever it is. What you want to do is to be able to say, Lord, my time, my talent, and my treasure are all surrendered to you. There's a third category. And the third category is what we see here with Elijah, and that is those of you, those of us, because I was in this category as well, who like uh, Elisha find ourselves working an occupational job, and God calls you to leave that to go into ministry service for him. That's not everybody, but it certainly was true for Elisha. And what is very impressive is his immediate obedience and his level of commitment. Maybe you notice he's riding this yoke of oxen. It's a wood contraption. And the Bible says that after Elisha throws his cloak on him, he says to him immediately, let me kiss my mother and my father goodbye. I'm ready to follow you. How I many want to have that level of obedience to the Lord? Now, I'm not pretending like I always have that level of obedience. Sometimes Chris Brooks is a slow learner. But I want to be there. I want to be that type of guy, and hopefully you want to be that type of woman or that type of man uh, or that type of youth that says to the Lord, Lord, when you call me, I want to respond with yes, Lord. Again, I want to invite you to repeat after me. Can you just repeat that after me? Yes, Lord. Can you say that one more time? Yes, Lord. Part of what we want to train our hearts to do and condition our hearts to do is to say, yes, Lord. That's a good practice. Yes, Lord. And then I love what Elisha does. Elisha has a cookout. He has a barbecue, and he invites the community. He turns the yoke, which is a wood contraption, he turns that into firewood, and then he takes the animals, boils the, the animal meat, and cooks it, and then they eat, and they have a cookout, which is a farewell cookout. Now, sometimes God allows you to have a goodbye moment. But sometimes he doesn't allow you to have a goodbye moment how many remember story in jesus's ministry where jesus says somebody follow me and he says let me go back and bury the dead my dead uh, my parents and jesus says to him let the dead bury the dead no one who puts their shoulder to the plow and looks back is worthy of following me anybody remember that story you know sometimes jesus says no you going back to say goodbye is gonna be a distraction for you. You need to follow me and not let your family attachments, your career attachments, hinder you. You need to burn the oxen. You need to burn the yoke. And some of you may miss this, but burning the yoke means to eliminate the option of going backwards It was his way of saying, I'm not going back. It was his way of hemming himself in where obedience was the only option. How many have ever heard the king and country song before, Burn the Ships? Anybody ever heard that song before? You may not know what that song is based off of, but it's based off of a story that comes from 1519. It is the Spanish explorer, his name is Cortez. Now Cortez comes to what we call Mexico. He's looking for treasure that is promised that it would be there like many who had come before him and it failed. Cortez's men were not any better than any other search and And rescue mission team, they were not any better at exploration, but Cortez had a different strategy. Here's what his strategy was. His men didn't know it, but when they got off that ship and they unloaded all the supplies, Cortez told a few of them, go back and burn those ships. In other words, boys, we're not going back on those ships. Failure is not an option Either we find what we came looking for or we die, but we're not going back on those ships. And for some of you, I'm not saying every one of you, this is your Elisha moment. God is saying, trust me, follow me. And you may say, Lord, I just don't know if I can do this, but maybe he's calling you to burn your ships. I had my Elisha moment 25 years ago. Some of you know my story. I was working in financial services industry, had a very good job, great prospects. It was a lucrative job. But yet, through a series of confirmations, God called me to leave that job and to go follow Him into ministry. And I had to burn the ships. And so, I know what I speak of, not just in theory, but in practice, and some of you have done that before as well. Now again, I gave you three categories, now everybody is called to have this type of Elijah moment, but every one of us is called to obedience and to say, yes, Lord. Let's do it one more time, yes, Lord. There's one more thing that I want to show you here parenthetically, and that is that God gave Elijah and Elisha friendship with one another. He doesn't call us to walk alone. Every one of us needs other people to walk with us who are going in the same direction, this long walk of obedience to Jesus. That's why, again, I love our fall launch because we get a chance to talk about life groups. And life groups isn't just another announcement, it's community. It's us saying to you, find a group of people and do life together because you're going to have moments where you need others on your right and to your left to encourage you to be faithful to the Lord. Let me land this plain, one final observation. At the end of verse number 21, you read these words. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. I love the fact that his first job was assisting. Don't think you're going to say yes to the Lord today and be written in the annals of scripture tomorrow. Don't think you're going to say yes to the Lord today and be some world-changing Christian leader tomorrow. My first job in ministry was to serve our youth department, and my job was to clean the youth room, vacuum, pick up papers, clean the youth room, and to set out Bibles. And I did that for three years, and I might say I was the best Bible sitter outer you ever met. I was faithful to that calling. I was as faithful to that as I could be because I believe that it was a service unto the Lord. Despise not the day of small beginnings. Whatever God calls you to do, be faithful where you are. And if you are faithful where you are, he will open up doors for you to serve him in greater ways. But the first call of any ministry is to prove yourself faithful. Well, I pray that this speaks to your heart. I pray even more that today you will find yourself saying, here, my Lord, use me. Everybody stand. What is your next step in your calling with Jesus? Maybe your next step is a call to repentance. Maybe your next step is a call to salvation, surrendering your life to him. If you're going to be used by him, starts with surrendering your life to him. So I call you now to respond to the gospel. And if today the Lord spoke into your heart, you want to surrender your life to him. After we are done worshiping him once more, just know there'll be friends up front to pray with you. Also, there's teams in the back. Our team is here to wrap our arms around you as you take your next step in your journey with Jesus. But today, I encourage you, whatever your next step is, say, yes, Lord.